I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Legend Rouge Cycling Podcast for our first monument recap of the season. Milan San Remo 2023 presented by Zwift. As always, we got the showdown between the big guns that we wanted. Benji allegedly watched a lot of this race i tuned in at the appropriate did you actually how much did you actually watch don't lie to the listeners they'll know i would say i watched about the first 60 kilometers i don't know why i decided to watch 60 i I don't know (laughs) i don't know why the first 60 kilometers and then i decided to have like my lunch break and then towards two o'clock in the afternoon i started tuning in for the last like two and a half hours so it lost 80 90k so i watched more than i should have i'll allow it Milan San Remo, you know the parkour. We have the basically a lot of flat coming from Abierta Grasso on the way to the coast. They go over the Paso del Turquino and then they get onto the coast, which is rolling a little bit and there's, you know, twisting through these towns, but they are mainly on a highway, to be honest. The race really starts where most people tune in is the uh, Tre Capo climbs, Capo Mele, Capo Cervo, Capo Berta. Few riders that got dropped on the Capoberta, then a bit of flat, then the Cipressa, where I expected a huge battle. 5Ks, 4%, descent, quite technical, about 10Ks or a bit less of flat, and then the famous Poggio de San Remo, which is 3.8Ks, 3.6%. Doesn't sound too, I mean, me and Benji will big ring that, maybe. Nah, <laughs> probably still smoring. Both Next year, I want to do it. Yeah, it's a, it's a baby climb. But very decisive, and we saw huge gaps at the end of this race. But before we get into that, what I was using today, Zwift during the phase before the cap, uh, Trey Cappy climbs, I was on Zwift, turning the legs over with the rain here, able to stay on top of my fitness goals. And there's no better pairing than the Zwift Hub from 499 euros or US, the cheapest and best value direct drive trainer or any trainer on the market it's the easiest way to start swifting unbox unlock virtual worlds and crush your fitness goals with swift and their swift hub which is changing the game thanks to swift as always for supporting the lantern rouge cycling podcast as our show partner but benji the breakaway tell us about it as someone who watched them for an hour and a half someone (laughs) you don't have to call me out like that eh at the start of the race, we saw, come on, <laughs> we saw Jumbo Visma, we saw Alpacin and so forth trying to relatively control who goes into the breakaway, Trek Sigafredo as well. Those were the three teams that really had a rider that was at the front saying, you're allowed to go in the break, you're not allowed to go in the break. It's like, it's like a gatekeeper of the breakaway at the front of the peloton. But you got to keep in mind, we know which teams are going to want to go in the breakaway. The Italian pro teams that are here, Tudor as well. And Jaco, because Matthews is out due to COVID. We said that in our preview and looks like their goal was going into the, the breakaway today, which I don't know. A World Tour team like Jaco, they they should be going for more than going in the breakaway today, right? I mean, 
are an Italian, they're like half an Italian pro Conti team, Benji, as well, like based on a lot of their signings. So, I mean, they, him and Corotech and Yolo, and so I don't know. I, Matthews is out, so I'm, I'm loath to criticize them, to be honest. It's, they're oh, trying okay. to make the best of a bad but situation. I do want to mention, despite all this happening, this breakaway golf sort of goes off the front. It's the riders you'd expect. The Italian pro team riders, the Tudor rider in Alois and also, uh, a Jayco rider in there, two Jayco riders actually in there as well. So basically, the combination we expect, but in the peloton, they're keeping the gap on roughly two minutes to two and a half minutes. And I think really the reason tight. for that is it because of the high tailwind on the parkour, knowing that if if it's, for example, headwind, it's going to be harder for that breakaway to make it far. If it's tailwind and you only use up a Von Emden, a Mosca, and who was the other guy that was pacing Kovi with his and different color shoes? Yeah, those four riders were doing it. If you if you only spent one rider per team, does it really matter that you keep it on two minutes thirty? Like it's fine, eh? I think yeah. Well, if I was UAE, it's interesting. Like this is the real nitty gritty degenerate stuff, which is analyzing <laughs> what thinking has gone into the use of a domestique to maintain a breakaway. For 200 kilometers in San Remo. And no, but it really, that's what I was thinking about. I was sitting there, why are they using Covey to pace with a Van Emden? Ma to pace with. No, this is a guy. Because he's been who, shit at Tireno. No, but this, this is the answer. It's like <laughs> they, and you think, you look at something, it doesn't on paper make sense, but there is a reason for it. They must have no confidence that he, for whatever reason, legs or positioning can make it over the Chipressa. Because you would think, theoretically, he could do something on the Chipresser or Poggio to help. So they use him like an engine with Mosca. We see all four of those teams cooperating, uh, pretty much. There's no Quickstep cooperating, though. They're probably the big absentee. But notably, Alps are not messing around. Sometimes there's the battle behind the scenes between the Rudolfs and the Plugger about who's <laughs> going to chase, who's going to control the gap. But they were pacing. Um, and yeah, it's yeah. the tailwind. They don't want to break that big getting out of hand because it's already going to be 55 flat out and it finished early today because the tailwind now next to that next to the breakaway going up the road something that happened a lot in today's race was crashes now usually in San Remo the crashes kind of build up towards the end where you've got the stress of the race becoming more and more important towards the end and then positioning becomes important and during that positioning moment all the people want to get to the front then crashes happen but today it started early in the neutral zone. Pogacar supposedly crashed in the neutral zone. I didn't see the crash, but I saw Graz on his shoulder. Or do you think that he purposely put Graz on his shoulder to make everybody <laughs> else think that he crashed? This is like Mike's conspiracy theory. last year. Um, <laughs> oh. We actually saw well. him crash on camera <laughs> in Australia last year. Uh, I don't know. Well, he's, he's diced with danger a couple of times. Like, we nearly missed out on him and Jonas at the tour when he undercut the Jayco lead out on stage two of the Tour de France in Denmark and he nearly broke his hand. He kept it up and that's part of the skill. A lot of riders would have gone down, but Jay goes down, doesn't make a difference. I don't, I doubt it. We'll wait for post-race yep. releases, but he looked pretty good uh, later. But yeah, it's just, I feel like you can have, and this this is something that happened with the Roubaix stage or the Cobble stage with Yumbo last year with like one little bad thing happening, even if it's like not really at a consequential moment, it can start like a domino effect of annoyance. And I'm not talking about Pogacar, I'm more talking about like Tratnik here. 
or Alaphilippe here for quick step. Like Alaphilippe a little bit out of position goes down at one point in the race. Okay, he can move up, but then how much has he spent? Yep. Tratnik goes down and then he's got to wait to move up and then he doesn't move up and then he, oh, sorry, he had a mechanical or whatever and then he goes down again, then he's out of the race. What does that mean? Um, yeah. These things are annoying and the team that really was mostly escaping unscathed was Alperston from what I could see. Yep, that's very true. They had riders prominently in the peloton and they were looking good, but everybody was kind of trying to move to the front after the couples. They were talking about these three capo climbs just before the Cipressa now, and that's where the breakaway started dropping down when it comes to the gap. It was now 40 seconds or something, and it was destined to be caught the second we started the Cipressa, and that's basically what was going on there. So let's just no continue. Ra- oh, sorry. What, what do you mean? Got the cap dropping ca- or? I didn't expect him to drop on Capoberta, I must say. I didn't, I didn't expect, listen, I didn't expect Cap to win this race, but <laughs> like it was a big group on Capoberta, Benji. Um, yeah. I can't remember who but else hey, dropped, maybe Athene. Last year, Pitcock dropped on the Capos and he won a Tour de France stage on Alpe d'Huez. So that <laughs> yeah, means that this true, year, yeah. and he's Cavendish will win a brutal mountain stage in the Tour de France. <laughs> true, yeah, he's British. So yeah, okay, that logic makes sense to me. I also noticed uh, Van Aert and Laporte were eating a lot of wind. Yumbo really didn't have many numbers here. Yeah. Tratnik was, as I said, out of position. Volta was struggling with position. I think whilst he's had very good legs, it's clear he ain't, he ain't able to mix it up as easily, where like maybe on FDJ in this sort of race, it's like, okay, try your best last year. Now it's like you've got to be doing a job in first yeah. five wheels. And I think he struggled to do that today on... In, in the run to the Poggio. I also failed to see the rest of the team of Jumbo Visma. Obviously, Von Emden had no. been riding at the front all the time. Trotnik was prominent in crashing and behind because of his mechanicals and so forth. But I did not see Von Hoydank, and I was kind of disappointed in that because last year, if I recall, he was pretty prominent still on the Cipressa and dropped about two thirds into the Cipressa. Yep. So I was expecting him to be further into this race, but he just wasn't really there. And that surprised me because... Laporte was basically the one positioning Wout van Aert in the peloton then, at the front. They were sort of positioning themselves in the win. Yeah. It was not that, I mean, they've just done 70 watts for five hours, so they probably feel fine. But MVD, I mean, and Pogaccio wasn't doing that. Um, But yeah, they were definitely not looking chock full of numbers. They were not able to do a lead out into the base of the Poggio. Before we get into that, or we'll just bring it back before the Poggio a little bit, mention... If you probably watched this race, if you've watched it on GCN Plus today, the best coverage of racing year round, and you LRCP listeners can get 15% off an annual GCN Plus subscription in certain territories. You can go back, and I often suggest maybe watch the highlights, long form, short form, or just pop on from the Chipressa, the base of the Chipressa onwards to. Whilst you're listening to the podcast, it's a nice companion. Maybe if you disagree, you think me and Benji talking BS, you can watch it for yourself (laughs) on delay, on demand, whenever it suits you on GCN Plus and go through the link down below to get 15% off what is already a very, very good, well-priced subscription, I think, especially for someone coming from Australia where game changer. We couldn't watch cycling like that year round until GCN Plus came around. Yes, I love that part where during the race we saw before the Cipressa, Philip Gilbert riding the Cipressa and the Poggio, 
on his bike and telling us where the positioning happens this corner in front of the GPS. I love that. that That's the kind road, of stuff I want more. It was two meters wide. I was like, <laughs> they don't do that, do they? <laughs> That's not safe. He's like, yeah, they do this at 60. I was like, well, fair enough. Okay, just taking it back a step, though. UAE, and I said this in the preview show, and I was like, when I saw their team, I was like, don't, don't blow it up too early. Like you did last year, pace before Poggio, and then you basically have Pog attacking three quarters of the Poggio left. Chipressa, they don't enter in good position again. Same thing happened last yeah. year. They then had to move up because they don't have the rulers. I mean, how many times have we been saying this, Benji? Trenton, I think, has been very good, but they do not have the high-quality rulers like other teams. and. It's Groshart and the pacing. I think a very yeah. good idea. Their idea was we don't need to drop every sprinter here, keep them behind. We need to put something into their legs here. We don't need to blow up the race like Formalino did last year. And then we keep Ulisi, keep Wellens back. But and I thought that was a good idea. Um, but I don't know. I, I thought I had no problem with it. I thought maybe the pace would be a little bit higher. Like yeah. the group was bigger than I expected with the tailwind, to be honest. Yeah, true. Like Gavirias were getting dropped and so forth, yeah. the Gavirias of the world, but also under Billy. the league, which I didn't expect to happen that early. He wasn't in a great either. position going into the Chipresa, but he, he dropped to that group like a stone. And that's also when I started noticing how isolated Yamba was because they were with Wout and Laporte in the front positions. But, well, Walter was probably somewhere, but I didn't notice him Walter because he was, was yellow. Uh, but that's the that's it that's it those three i was expecting more there you were pacing quite hard like you said you you mentioned the preview that they should have used cross sharpener so well noticed my friend they went with that so they... to you. yeah this is tough like <laughs> what if they're listening <laughs> that's always the problem yeah hello much well, because i always you? thought because like bro sharpener on three percent on poggio he ain't gonna hurt anybody well and scan yeah. so it makes Maybe they're just actually a lot smarter than they decided this two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Now, when it comes to the Cipresa, I do also want to mention, this is kind of the climb where the group last year was really thin down, eh? And because, like you mentioned, the tiny. tempo was lower, it wasn't as tiny this time around. It was a relatively large group. I think 40, 50 riders. Is that a rough good guess, you think? Maybe more. Honestly, maybe more. Last year, I swear it was 15, 20. Like yeah. there were Pedersen, MVDP, Binny, like had either zero or one domestique at the most last year. This year, it was, yeah, like still really, really big. And yep. teams with like five riders, like Bahrain victorious coming over the top. And coming over the top, they did with MVDP. MVDP moved to the front. And this was sort of a Remco-style move to me, Benji, where he wants to do the descent with clear air in front of him. That's how I read it. Um, he did mess up the initial or, corners of the Gipresso descent. Or he saw the tactics from the Mute de Bretagne stage in the Tour de France and noticed that if he attacks <laughs> on the second last climb, then he's got a better chance to drop everybody on the last climb. Because he attacked on the descent, not really. It wasn't really a big attack. He it was just attack. moving forward with another Alpecin rider. I. Was it SKA, Sörenkra, or Hermans? Hermans? I don't know I which think, one it was. At that point. Okay, and they had a third rider with them. Oh God, who was the third Trenton. rider? Trenton. Uh, yeah, Trenton comes over the top of them. MVP misses the corner a little bit. Trenton comes over the top. He then drags those guys out, and there's a little bit of a gap to an EF rider. 
There's then another UAE rider behind the EF rider pacing. Wow, Van Aert's there with uh, Laporte a bit further back. Don't know where Volta's gone. But they get to the base and I'm like, they have a two-second gap. Trentin and Hermans, I'm going to say, and Vanderpool. And I was like, surely Vanderpool doesn't start pacing. And he goes to the front a little bit. I'm like, no, he's not. And he, he didn't. He, <laughs> they waited. And completely the opposite to last year, Benji. It stops. Yep. UAE don't pace. No one takes control. Everyone's trying to get their domestiques back so they can do the lead out to the Poggio and, you know, assemble the troops, let's say. Nils Pollitt anticipates, and I don't know who Bora were going for today. They were very prominent on the Capo. Banner crashed uh, into, okay. that, into that bike rack on the left side of the road. That was oh, completely yeah, that was unsignaled. That yeah. was awful. Like, that, that should have been signaled. Stuff like that shouldn't that happen poor. in a monument like Milano Sanremo. That's something you'd expect in like a 1.1 race. But anyway, Bennett was down there. I think Dynasia as well and some other DSM rider also on the floor. But let's be honest about it. Bennett was not going to do much anyway. Benji's probably scrubbed that from the notes. That was yeah, a I've scrubbed crash. that from the notes. <laughs> 45 kilometers to go. The top favorite of this race. Alex Aramburu crashed. And at that point... Changed knew, the whole race. Yeah, changed the, the race completely. Because not only... The reason Gaviria dropped at the bottom of the Cipresa wasn't because he couldn't follow anymore. Solidarity. It's because he felt purposeless. Yeah, <laughs> I see that. Colombian with a Basque rider, absolutely, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Paul anticipates he kind of gets brought back. We've got the run into the uh, Poggio. Bahrain victorious, line it up. Like in 2018, they absolutely fucking nail this. Like, perfect from Bahrain again, like they did with Nibali. It was actually Moritz who entered Poggio first wheel in 2018 and controlled. He's obviously a bit... Uh, further up in the hierarchy of the team these days. I'm not sure who it was because I think Milan was dropped, whether it was Masiuk or uh, Nikias Arndt, I think I want to say was there. And also Pascalon did a very good job. A 35-year-old who's probably on a very low contract. Excellent from him. Jumbo Visma, Wout and Laporte kind of have to move themselves up yeah. on the wrong side. You want to be on the right side on the Poggio running. Ineos were kind of there. I think Chef doing a lead out for Ghana. Ghana did enter in good position. And one little thing I noticed, if you go and watch this on the tape, go and watch Wout moving up in the last 500 meters before Poggio. And Quinton Hermans, I think, sees him and yeah. pushes out wider and makes Van Aert go further in the wind. Just like <laughs> excellent strats. <laughs> sneaky move, sneaky move. But it was also like you say... It's better to be on that one side of the road. The one that Anton Marche was on behind the tunnel with 11k to go. But they mm. were there alone, Anton Marche. All the rest was on the other side of the road. So at what, at what point does it become more useful to go to the other side of the road, knowing that you might have more wind resistance in the other side of the road if you're completely alone with your team? I guess it's, do you have the power? So Bahrain had the power to cross them. And yep. if you look at... Uh, Ineos in 2021, they were on the Intermarche on the, on the wall side, but they had Ghana leading it out and yeah. no one could cross them. <laughs> they, they, they stopped quick step and Asgren <laughs> had to break hugely yeah. to not go into that um, barrier as you enter Poggio, which Van Aert had to duck around. But they go into Poggio, it's still a huge group and it's Pascal on pacing, not a nuclear pace. This is typical for a normal San Remo, unlike last year, as you will have a ruler do the first 500 meters because they've entered in good position because they're carrying 43 kilometers, 45 kilometers an hour into the climb and to move up and sprint past them in the wind is a huge energy cost. So I was thinking VAR is UAE. Uh, 
and they're a bit thin on the ground, I must say. Uh, Ulysses, yep. they weren't together all as a team. Vanard has moved into good position. He's found his way onto Pagacha's wheel. So, you know, from a bad position, it's looking a bit better. Laporte is there. So Vanard's in an okay position. MVDP's entered in a fine position. Not a, when he was in the white shorts a few years ago, he was like a million wheels deep. He was in a good position this year. And Bahrain, to me, Benji, they don't want to blow the race up. They want a group of 15 and then Morich to go crazy on the descent and no one bring him back. So they're not going to pace a nuclear pace. Yep, for certain. I do want to mention a bit of a, a Narsen erasure here, a bit of nepotism. I feel like <laughs> Oliver Narsen was extremely strong on this climb, as in you don't notice him because he's riding for Ajazer, right? And he's in a good position. He's in like fourth position when, when Bahrain has like three riders still left at the front there. And in that situation, he moves up himself to that position. And then a bit later, we see eventually the move that UAE makes. UAE comes to the front with two riders only. So they don't have the three, four riders, like you mentioned. They're a bit isolated in that sense. But the replacement of Formolino is actually very fucking strong here. Eh? The Mullins moves up in the same way that we kind of hoped for. Oh, well, also, they're missing last because... year. Exactly. And he moves up so quickly that Wellens and Pogacar move in front of the rest just before like the hairpin that goes into the, the tailwind, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And as a consequence, there's a bit of gaps in the wheel there. But that seems to be closed down. It's very much on a line right now. Eh? Wout van in 6th, 7th position, if I recall correctly. And that's where Trenton makes a godlike move. And he basically... Well, I, just... well, oh. I want to go back a step. Okay. I think Van Aert loses the race there. He's okay. on Pog's wheel. He's found it. He's pushed the EF rider off it, I think. And then when Wellens comes to the lead out, he's blocked and not on the wheel anymore. And yep. he's off the wheel. And we know, everyone knows who's going to launch it. It's not going to be Alaphilippe, who I think had a mechanical before the Poggio. And that's your race done. Uh, looks like 10Ks to go. But even if he hadn't had the medical, we all know who's the guy that's going to launch first. And it's Pog. Yep. And Van Aert doesn't take his wheel when Wellens does the lead out and when when wait when he's in that drop Wellens a big dude and you see yep. he, he's like sucked along and it's just perfect from them it's what you know Ulysses and they couldn't do last year and before Trenton's move though Quinton Hermans no not Hermans Seren Kra is also able to claw back I think to Pagacha's wheel um, yep. for Alperson and what a signing that was just for this race because that took a lot of pressure off Vanderpool. Yeah, but wait, now it's my turn to go back in time <laughs> <laughs> to the moment that I was speaking about. When it was completely lined up, Trenton's in seventh position behind Wout Fanat, and he opens up the gap. And everybody else in the peloton is gone at that point because nobody wants to instantly close the gap to Wout Fanat, And that's how those six riders basically got away at that moment. So godlike move by, by Trenton. Maybe it was accidental. Maybe he didn't have the legs. No, it's but Nassim gets deliberate. fucked over there in the wheel because he doesn't instantly jump to the wheel. Climbed very well. Climbed very well in Paris. I do believe he's going to have a good classic season. That being said, the first six riders were off and that's where your scenario starts happening. Eh? Bogacar launches well, from Wellens's wheel. And, and where Trenton loses that wheel is just where it's like literally flat. And so... Everyone yep. behind is like, holy shit. Wellens is driving it at 50 on the flat. You're going to have to sprint at 1,000 watts for eight seconds. 
to get back your races are i think pedersen might have bridged to that group uh but then your race is done it, it's finished at that point if you have to bridge that gap and so van Aert's on van der poel's wheel here wellens is yep. doing the lead out we know what's coming van Aert's on van der poel's wheel there is like wellens i feel does slow a little bit like he's he's accelerated he's he's Pagacha doesn't immediately attack, is what I'm saying, off Wellens' run. And I'm thinking, oh, is Van Aert going to... Is he going to sit on Van Der Poel and make him close it? He doesn't. Pagacha, big attack, and then Van Aert starts closing. Oh. I'm not sure. It was Top Ganner on Pagacha's no, wheel. No, 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 no. You, you're missing one rider. The rider you mentioned earlier. There was some oh, opposite mistake there. It was certain cross still that was ahead of Ganner that closed it down. Is that the reason that Van Der Poel... Didn't close them. Maybe that's the reason that Wout van Aert says to himself, Van der Poel won't close it because Kronderson's there? No, I think, like, if, if you're going to close Pog, the second Pog is going to attack, you may as well anticipate and get back to his wheel because, yeah, when Pog does attack, you have this situation where Ganna's kind of in the wheel, Søren Kras kind of in the wheel, everyone is, like, getting gapped a little bit, it's strung out. And it's a strong pog attack, like one big attack like last year. And yeah, Van Aert bridges and bridges and bridges yeah. Van der Poel across. And, and it's not like he gets across quickly either. It was like, because pog is so strong, it takes a long time to close him down. Exactly. And the question there now is, if Van der Poel... Doesn't close the gap because Søren Kronersen is in the wheel of Pogacar there for a second. Is that maybe the reason that gives him an advantage over the likes of Wout van Aert? That's now closing the gap so significantly that maybe later he can take advantage of that? Is that a race-winning move by Søren Kronersen being there? It, it, it certainly helps having a rider ahead and also being brought in the draft at 35, 40 kilometers an hour. Did it yeah. ultimately make a difference? Maybe, maybe not. I don't think so in the end because they bridge back the cameras change because they hate their own race and we suddenly see <laughs> the camera change back and van der Poel has a four bike length gap and um yeah i mean we complain about a lot i don't complain too much but seven hours of broadcast coverage to miss the main attack of the race like congrats um but van der Poel, huge th it fully deserves the moniker of thermonuclear attack he has set the Poggio record. He has gapped Pogaccia, who cannot even respond. Van Aert is cooked on the wheel of Pog responding. Gan is sandwiched in between. And he takes two, three seconds, maybe three, over the top of the Poggio with that devastating late attack. Really late move, actually, into the Poggio descent. And we're going to see how this Van Aert's got the one by set up, how the motorbike's going to influence it. Who's going to help in the chase? Because this this descent was basically Van der Poel against Van Aert. That's what yep. it was. Because Ghana, for all his power, he was struggling technically. And so I don't think Ghana was finessing anybody. Ghana was having to do a million watts out of every corner to get back to Van Aert's wheel. And then Van Aert was looking like, oh, fuck. And he was chasing full gas. But MVP did a very... He, he, I think he took time out on the descent. Yes, but I feel like he did it on the straights and not in the corners because on the technical part yeah. at the start, 
I feel like Wout was gaining on Van der Poel. Then when it went to the straight parts, that's where Wout van Aert and Agena and Pogacar will start looking at each other. Mm. And I feel like that's where Van der Poel started gaining time again. I can't conclude from the footage whether it was purely in descending in the straight line that he was stronger or whether it was a slight group dynamic that reduced the power that the second group was pushing there in the chase because I feel like there was some doubt in between like the, the, the technical part of the descent and about 10% into the flat part. After that, I feel like they were working together to again. Together again. Jesus, I just ruined that in no way. But I just want to add some context. You're saying Wout van is riding with a one-by. Basically, that's like one front, uh, what do you call it? Grow plate, right? Chain ring. Yeah, chain ring. That's the English word I was looking for. <laughs> well, they say chain set in England, actually, I think. Really? Yeah. I don't, I don't say that, though. I don't know. I think anyway. if Wout had bigger gears, would it have made a difference? I don't think so. Um, yeah. So I don't want to get, I'm just saying like he had a one by. So that, you know, that was something brought up before the race, like the dropper seat yeah. post. If he'd won the race, everyone would have said it was because of the one by. <laughs> like the dropper seat <laughs> post last year. I don't think it lost him the race either. But MVP is just stronger than these guys, Benji. Yeah. Like, as you said, the gap was Van Aert kept it really tight, two, three seconds. You can see him is entering the hairpin. But as you said, like on that pedaling bit just before where Sturvin attacked, he he rips that gap apart. And you see it's where Van Aert calls for Poggy to go through. And Poggy wasn't finessing either. You gotta remember, okay, Poggy is a fantastic rider, probably best all-round rider in the world. He is still 66 kilos. Yeah. And we have a 3% false slat descent. And it's Ghana, Van der Poel, and Wout van Aert, who are all best part of 80 kilos. Like, there is still an absolute what disadvantage for him on these sort of power sections where a Sturvin attacks, where a Cancellara attacks. And when you see Wout pulling through, he's never taking time on Van der Poel back, ever. Yeah. I thought maybe if Ghana and Van Aert and they fully go. To me, they did like one rotation, then realized, nah. And this ain't happening. Yeah. It was the MVP show, Benji. Bah, nice to see you, to be honest. Well, we got to talk about this. Matthew van der Poel's doing really bloody strong performance on this Poggio, doing that after. Now, last week, he was not good at Tireno, eh? Is that sandbagging? Is that him pretending he's not good enough and then showing up when it matters? In the same way that Mohoric said his knee was hurt last year and then won Sanremo? <laughs> Uh, he always does this, and then he basically takes... This is one of the most impressive Milano-San Remo wins you'll ever see, where the rider can look yep. back at 300 metres and start celebrating. The others are finessing behind, and Van der Poel solos away to win by 15 seconds. Time to zip up the jersey. Doesn't even need to sprint. On the Via Roma, ahead of Ghana, who countered Van Aert, who maintains his third position, sprinting ahead of Pagaccio, who was a little bit cooked. Just... Van der Poel, that gap is so big. 15 seconds for a solo over the Poggio, I guess. Oh. I, know they probably, I know they probably sat up a little bit in the last K, playing for second, but that's a and it's big also, old gap. If there's headwind instead of like pure tailwind on the Via Roma and the street before that, there's a smaller chance that Van der Poel makes it to the line. I still think that he would have had a solid chance of winning, but tailwind significantly impact the value while the the favoritism of the attackers here. Mm. Would you say that they've had more of a chance to catch him if there was headwind, or would you say the group two dynamic would have fucked it over anyway? 
well then then you got a headwind for example Van Aert's going to pull into the headwind on the descent cost some energy he's then going to yeah. be like oh these guys have been in my wheel pull them like I don't even know if headwinds technically yeah. unless you have teammates behind I don't know if they make too much of a difference and I think, think Vanderpool could have won this race from a, a number of different scenarios I agree. I think if they catch him, he still has a large chance of winning the sprint in that group, I would yeah. say. I will say, I think the headwind matters most with the, the people that are already dropped. I think the headwinds makes it kind of like, it makes the race closer together. The riders that are dropped with the riders at the front are closer together in the headwind. With the tailwind, the gaps are larger across the board of riders that are yeah. in the first, I don't know, 50 riders. And as a consequence, that makes it easier for a Vanderpool versus a larger group. Now, there was a small group chasing him, not a larger group, as a consequence of what happened on the Poggio. And he, he bloody well destroyed this race. And let's be honest about it, destroying that Poggio record 5 minutes 40 or something, which is Crazy. quite significant. Does that mean that the second and third rider also broke it? Because, like, I'm pretty sure they also broke the record then with the Stellwind. Yeah, they're only three seconds behind. Um, Pogaccia probably, I think he entered the descent second after Vanderpool. Yeah, crazy speeds uh, with a tailwind, of course. But yeah, Vanderpool wins ahead of Gannett, Van Aert third, Pagacha fourth, unlucky to miss out on a podium. Then two Danes, Kra Anderson, actually, Alperson first and fifth. He's comes fifth, Great. Pedersen sixth, Paola seventh, Morich eighth, Turgis ninth, Sturven tenth, Alaphilippe eleventh, the best place quick step rider. So that's all the third group. We still haven't got a quote unquote pure sprinter yet. We have to go to the next group for that where it's Ballerini, Laporte, Court, Phillips, and Ewan. So really, like, you look at that top 10, it's all attackers and the superstars, and that's yeah. why I love this race, but also it's turning into that. It With a tailwind, really, really hard for Ewan, even though he did look good on the Chipressa, I think he was in good shape. Really, really hard for someone like that. I will say I think Van der Poel... I think he could have beaten these guys from a group of four sprint if he didn't gap them on the Poggio. I think he could have counted them and Ghana would have counted them if yep. they were in a group of four on the last three Ks and he could have won that way. I think he could have won in a number of ways. He was just to attack like that at the end of Pagatch's attack is um, yeah, really impressive. And to open up the gap like that, he was superior than the others today. I agree. Although, if it's those four riders, I would argue that Ganna also has a significantly larger chance of yeah. winning this race if it's Good those chance. four together. Because Pog he not. can make that move early, and they're going to look at each other. That's what's yeah. going to happen. Pog kind of needs a sprint at that point, and hope that his sprint is significantly better than Vanderpool, he which doesn't happen often sprint. at the end of a hard race. True, very much. One thing, when Alaphilippe crashed on the Turquino halfway the race, Lampard was there as well, didn't wait on him, and Alaphilippe had to return solo to the peloton. Why? Why does he not have teammates waiting for him? If Lefebvre comments now that he says, well, um, Alaphilippe didn't do shit in this race, then if I'm Alaphilippe, I'm saying, well, I crashed and not a single teammate waited for me, <laughs> and I still became the first rider in the race for this team. A Lampard, yeah, in Milano Sanremo, he's not... Poggio. Exactly, so I... Also, I don't know. I'm not the problem's not Alaphilippe. Var is the quick step train putting him in position. <laughs> it's a Seneschal. Well, they don't they don't have yeah. like look at Bahrain. Yeah. Like 
that should be Quickstep in theory, or at least the second team, and they're not that. And Yumbo weren't that either. And I will say, like, we said this last year, MVDP gave an interview, well, you know, an interesting interview where he said, I'm getting older, opportunities are dwindling, I can't afford to race like an idiot anymore, in so many words. Yeah. And for the last year and a half, that has been absolutely the case. If you look at Tour of Flanders last year, that is the perfect example of it. Zero ego, zero tactical mistakes. He follows Pog, he finesses him, he waits for the sprint, he knows where he has the advantage, he doesn't try yep. and counter him on Paterberg or anything like that, or on Aldequarmont. And again today, and it, I think well, this is a little bit first take-ish and narratives, but it is interesting, and I do, I do believe it plays a part. If Van der Poel comes eighth today, no one really would say anything. The Dutch media, Benji, I don't think would be writing articles next week about, oh, Van der Poel's getting a little bit older and he hasn't won <laughs> enough big races. They wouldn't write them. But yep. before the season with Van Aert, those articles are already being written. Those statements are already being said on talk shows. And, of course, I agree it helps that Kranison was ahead. But when it's the biggest moment, the most for lack of a bit of a word, clutch moment in the race. Vanderpool is cooler under pressure and knows what yeah. he wants to do than Van Aert. And Van Aert, in the biggest moments, often will not make the best decision. Because if you know Pog is going to attack, if you know you have to respond to him, don't sit on MVDP's wheel. Yep. And then wait for Pog to attack and then bridge MVDP back. If you, if what you, you know, and, and this is where all the pressure comes in, I feel like Van Aert's like, I can't lose this race. I can't lose this fucking race. Yep. And so he has to chase Pog back. Whereas Van der Poel will risk losing the race a little bit so that he can make his move when he wants to. I still think he was stronger than Van Aert, but it also, if you go and watch, it doesn't doing a 30 second bridge in the wind with the top favorite in your wheel bridging across to the top favorite is not where you want to be if you're van art for certain and that's where the question once again arises where why is he skipping a, an itt world championships in front of the road world championships uh, to it will increase the pressure on that single race you know and I feel like that's also a thing that's happening in Wout van Aert's head right now, where last year he did that. Now, when it comes to this year, we've discussed this topic a tiny bit where he was taking a soft launch at Tireno, for example. I feel like that was partially due to just wanting to grow into the form, but he was also skipping potential chances of having a stage win and relieving the pressure of already having a win going into the season. Because now we're looking at the next couple of classics and he still needs to deliver in that sort. So... I think that does matter for the mindset of Wout van Aert in the races that come. Now, I do want to add, I feel like when it comes to Pogacar, we had February, Andalusia, super strong performance and so forth. Were you surprised that he could not follow Van Der Poel's move? Because like, no. about Van Der Poel, before we go to Pogacar, the difference with Van Der Poel and two years ago is that two years ago, he went onto the Poggio in 75th position and he had, yeah. well, it was probably 25th or 30th position. And he moved up on the right side, doing a thousand plus watts for like 10 seconds to get Whilst into Gana a good position. Whilst was drilling it. Exactly. And couldn't launch anymore. 
But yeah. this year, he's already in that position. So has that launch of 10 seconds at 1,000 plus watts on the Pajo. And I think that's a major difference that Vanderpool could win this race more than once if he gets that position right every time. Yeah, and definitely having like the initial moves of Wellens, certain craft can be present so he doesn't need to overreact. Uh, of course, you don't want to be behind the Trentine split when he opens that up. But so, yeah, I think Søren Krah is a really good addition for that team and for him in particular. But yeah, like he's brought back. It's, well, again, we haven't actually seen video footage of the attack, Benji, but I'm assuming <laughs> um, there was a... Van Aert gets to Ganner's wheel. Pagacha looks... No, no sorry. Van Aert, yeah, Van Aert gets to Ganner's wheel. Pagacha looks around, sees Van Aert and Ganner, and... Vanderpool carries that momentum and, yeah, as you said, drops 1,000-plus so. watts on them. And then your Pagacha, you've just done this huge attack. And also, as I just said, like, he doesn't have the absolute power of Vanderpool. And, yeah, it's just, it's just perfect timing and tactics from Vanderpool. And he also was the strongest. So, <laughs> I think Ghana... So, yeah, there's not much more to say on, on Vanderpool. I will say, like... I mean... It's tough for Pog to win this race. This is almost the toughest monument for him to win, Benji, because the climb's not hard enough for him to get separation from these huge units. Yep. Um, and, and Van Aert still toasted him in the sprint. But Ganna was impressive today. With Pidcock out, coming second, that's Ineos sure. got to be really happy with that result. They should be very happy. They're obviously going to be a bit sad tonight. Ganna of like, oh, could I have gotten more on this? But in the long run, they're definitely going to be happy with this result because yeah. getting a podium with a an Italian rider, is it Pinarello that's dropping big money for Ghana there? Yeah. So Pinarello's going to be pretty happy with their guy getting second there. So that's certainly something that, that's awesome there. Now, it's also, I was pretty comfortable that Ghana would get over the Poggio in like the first 10 riders based on his climbing oh, performance not so with far. those guys. But being able to follow Pogacar when he attacked. Not like that. I was not expecting that. That was Ooh. mad. That was like next level. And I feel like we glanced over that how significant that Ghana performance yeah. was today, and what that could deliver in the future, I honestly don't know. Are they trying to make Ghana a GC rider? This is the question. No, no, let's bin the... <laughs> we just like... Can we just have Ghana as a classics rider? <laughs> let's start there with the 85 kilo guy. Ghana as a classics rider, let's start that project and Man, get that rolling. Man, 3 come on. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen stage 13? How to yeah, look okay. at it. I was talking to Jorgensen about it. And he was like, that stage is a crime. <laughs> it should be illegal. <laughs> it's like 6,000 meters. Denivel. Um, second in San Remo for an Italian classics oh. rider. Absolutely excellent from Ghana. In your, I mean, it now raises question marks. What was the plan if Pidcock was going to be here? You, next year, you can't Same have Ghana do what they did in 2021. Drive in the front. Uh, Firmly agree. I think still the plan would have been with Ghana as co-leader because you want those two to get over the Pajo yeah. in the front riders so that Pitcock can be your sprinty type option or the punchy option on the Pajo while Ghana tries yeah. to follow and then Peter Walling attack rider after the Pajo. Anyway, we're previewing next year already, which probably isn't a good idea. Tim Wellens, though, I want to I wanna talk about him for a second. Is he the Benoit of 2022? Is he the best transfer of the season so far? Uh, I mean, what's he done? Paran East and or Trotnik, he was, I don't know. He wasn't he wasn't that good in Paran East, frankly, Wells. Um I don't think. Uh he was good on Poggio. 
Yeah, he's good. He's good so far. Um, I think he's going to be good he's on He's done a lot Quartermont. of race days. I think he's good at launching Pogacar on Quartamon in the Classics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Pogacar had to launch himself. So, and he, Wellens has been present on Poggio in previous years. So, yeah, a brilliant signing uh, for them. But a lot of race days. He was a late call-up for Formolino, who was out. Um, UAE, I think, would have liked a little bit a little bit more setting up on the Poggio. Wellens was good, but they entered. They're just missing entering in perfect position. Chipresa Poggio, they, they don't enter in perfect position. And then Ulysses last year spent a lot just to get ahead of Laporte. Um, so, <laughs> if, you yeah. bring, if you bring Almeida to Milano San Remo and he starts at the back no, of the peloton no, on the Poggio, <laughs> how far would he get by the time the Poggio ends? Out <laughs> of <laughs> proof, maybe. Um, <laughs> But yeah, this is, it's a tricky one for Bog because fresh, his sprint against the big guns is it's actually harder for him at high speed, especially tailwind sprint uh, like this. I, I think Yumbo today, Benji, missed two riders. Yeah. Dylan Van Bala is, would have been better than Van Hoydonk. And, uh, but no. Yeah, but 2022 Von Hoydonk would have been better than 23 Van Hoydonk as well, eh? But not, I agree. Yeah, he he wouldn't have got dropped on Chipressa. Um, but Van Baal, like, I guess, yeah. I think the plan would have been, I mean, you can say, and we said in the preview, get more numbers over the Poggio with Van Aert. But, but who the enough. fuck can do that? Like, you need to pay a guy, you need to find some other rider that's worth five million a year because, like, Pidcock, because the only guys going over the Poggio in a group of four is going to be the absolute superstars when it gets nuked like that. So it's kind of immaterial. Um, and it's really no one's fault. Like Ganner's, him not being technically as good as Van Aert descending also like didn't help. So anyway, it's a beautiful race. So I love it because there's so many different things. And how many monuments has Van Der Poel won? Three. Not bad. Yep. Not bad. Two different ones. 41 so. wins. Can he win all five? No, no, no. He can win Roubaix? Can win Roubaix. I believe he can win Lombardia if they switch the parkour again to the one <laughs> like, that they had in... They got to do a baby When route. the hell was the punchy one? The punchy Lombardia? Was that last yeah. year? No. I don't no, remember no, when no, punchy Lombardia last was. Year. I, mean, I remember he got close once. The one time that I mentioned in the preview where he was descending together with Nibali and the Chevillio and basically wrote the descent faster than Nibali. I think that was Sermano one. He came 10th in 2020, but the RCS calendar 2020 races uh, got to take a little bit of a pinch of salt. Obviously, I got burned with the old Hindley one, uh, but otherwise, some of those results <laughs> haven't aged too well uh, from those RCS calendars. So, no. I, every, if Pog does Lombardia, there's a 0% chance that uh, yeah. Vanderpool can win. Nor do I think he'll care enough to go for it, uh, to be honest. And it also, I think it gets harder as you get older to be, to trim off the weight, to be like, so you'll need to be super, super light for that race uh, as well. How's he going to do that when he's 33, 34? I don't know. Um, but how'd you rate the San Remo, Benji? Pretty good. I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. 
is it the best race of the season? No, because Roubaix is coming and I rate Roubaix hard and Sunray. We went over this last week, okay? But it was a good race as long as you didn't watch the first 60k, which I did. <laughs> <laughs> Who's winning? Uh, is Vanderpool winning RVV Roubaix double? No. No? Three okay. money wins in a year. That's not fucking happening. <laughs> I mean, I am going to say that. Not Roubaix. I, I see RVV more than Roubaix. I think that Pogaccio is going to win RVV. Even though yeah. today doesn't impress me for it. Even I though mean, today doesn't matter for it. Yeah, UAE. I, wor I mean, I worry for them by the tour, Benji. Like, they're investing a lot early in this season for points and results. Uh, I worry for them by the tour, time the tour rolls around. But I don't uh, really understand don't training worry. either. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure Fog will be good at the tour. So, yeah. So, and Cry Anderson, worth his weight in gold in a signing today. Uh, certainly didn't hurt Vanderpool's chances at taking out another monument win. We'll have uh, Trofea Alfredo Binder recap tomorrow. On Monday, uh, we won't have at least straight after the stage, the Catalonia Stage 1 recap. Um, I have to go down there for some Giro planning with Yumbo tomorrow. Um, but we might try to get one out later on the evening on Monday. Uh, but we'll be back for full... That's only the false life drag uphill sprint stage. We'll be back for the mountain stages, Remco v. Roglic v. everybody, uh, Tuesday onwards as normal. Uh, otherwise, Benji... Just like San Remo, you've got to wait for the good stuff at the end. This morning, let me tell you about my morning. Oh, God. So Toby wakes me up 5 a.m., fucker. And I can't get back to sleep. And I'm like, whatever, I'll go watch. There's George Ryder Stakes, All-Star Mile, Alligator Blood, Animo running, 6 a.m., 7 a.m. And so I watch George Ryder, Animo cleans it, no worries. And then... Oh, Dad. Yeah, 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 big race. And then... I go see the feral cat colony. Toby has to see them. It's still dark at that point. It's, it's dawn, so they're all going crazy, like chasing around, attacking him. He loves it. And then we're walking back, and I see this huge animal in the, in the distance. I'm like, is that a fucking... Because there's mouflon here. There's some big animals here close by, especially then, like Saturday morning, Andorra, 6.30, like mm -hmm. Deadsville. And anyway, I walk up, huge horse. There's one from the field just there, and he's just taking himself down the street. And I do, does that qualify? I always think, do I live in a quote-unquote rural area if there's just horses wandering about of their own accord down the middle of the road? I think yes. Anyway, get to him, I'm like, what are you doing? And he said, oh, just having a feed. And so I had to bring him back to his field, and I put him back. And then I go watch All-Star Mile, um, which is not bad too, at 7 a.m. So that, I was busy before 7 uh, a lot cool happening. Story, bro. Maybe that was the Strade horse I collected. Um, <laughs> I would like Where to be only land? referred to as no from now on as the cowboy Shepherd. of Corumban. Thank Get you. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Man, <I can't>. so, <laughs> and that's, that's how, how I'd today. like to be referred to. Yeah, that's how I'd like to today. <laughs> Thanks to Zwift as always and yourself for supporting the show. And we'll see you with Binder tomorrow. Ciao. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 